Hey guys, and welcome back to another great episode of Talking with Andrew and Chris. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chris. And today, we have another great episode for you today. Our guest is the one and only Howie Spangler from the band Ballyhoo. And this guy has been doing it a long time, and he's got a lot of wisdom to share. Yeah, we couldn't be any more thankful for Howie for A, giving us his time, and also just imparting so much knowledge on us as young people in the entertainment field. You know, he's been doing it for a while, and he's been doing it pretty pretty well for a while, I have to say. So we're really super appreciative to Howie for coming on and just being an all-around great guy. Yeah, and if you want to keep up with the podcast, you know, guests in the past, the guests that we're going to have in the future, we've got social medias everywhere, at Talkin' Podcast, where everywhere podcasts can be found, and we even have an email, talkinwithandrewandchris at gmail.com, so talk to us. We want to talk to you guys, too. Yeah, and once again, you know, thank you guys all so much for checking out our new song, Run Into Me, with our band The Stash. You know where to find it, at The Stash NY, any place that matters. Also, this past Friday, Andrew and I were guests on Howie's podcast, Tales from the Green Room. We talked about our band, talking podcast, everything that we have going on lately. So check that out anywhere podcasts can be found. That's Tales from the Green Room. And we'll be right back in a moment with I Don't Want to Go by Ballyhoo. Another episode. Welcome to the show, Howie Spangler of Ballyhoo. How you doing, man? I'm great, man. How are you? Dude, we're doing just wonderful. And uh, thanks again for coming on, dude. We really appreciate it. We're excited to uh, dive in and talk to you. Yeah, man. Thanks for asking me to do it. Yeah, man. So you you actually, you wear many hats. And I know you're pretty out there. You have, you know, your, your podcast, you have your record label, you have your band. And I know you speak about them a lot, but what we're hoping for from this episode is like even a deeper dive than I've, I've heard from, from the few content I've looked up before asking you to do this interview. You know, I'm hoping to really, like, how do you manage all of this? You know, just like sort of t- talk us through your process. Maybe, maybe start from the beginning, but you know, you, you wear a lot of hats. And to me, they all seem to be working in, in a synergy that I haven't seen other people be able to achieve so I'd, I'd really love to jump into something like you know the reason behind that offer it yeah um i don't know i just i knew from an early age uh that i didn't want to be a part of the you know quote unquote rat race um <clears throat> i didn't want to go to college i didn't want to work for anybody um you know so my dad took my brother and i to see um rat and poison it was our first concert and I was like six years old. I think my brother was four um, in 1987. And it was it was like the greatest thing I'd ever seen. And I was already into those bands and stuff. Uh, but seeing the live show and seeing all those people there, like we all went there to this arena to see these dudes play these songs that I w- that I'd seen on MTV. 
and <clears throat> and it was just I don't know it just struck me really hard like um, and I just knew that one day that I wanted to be a part of that um, and so my, my brother and I would would set up in our rooms and I would say you know him or I would come to each other hey you want to play band we call we called it band um, and we would take like whatever record we were listening to at that point, um, Motley Crue, Rat, you know, Def Leppard, Skid Row, whatever, and we would play the tape, yeah, cassette tapes. Um, we'd play the cassette tape front to back. You know, it'd get through six or seven songs. We'd flip it, go to the next side. You know, and we would pretend we were having a concert. And he would grab some pencils, sit on the bed. And he'd, he'd be the drummer, and I'd grab a pencil and I'd be the singer. Um, you know, singing into this pencil. And we would just throw down and just just rage for you know forty five minutes or whatever the record length was, um, and yeah. it was fun, you know. And uh, my dad always had musical instruments around the house, um, and he had a drum kit when I was really young. It's probably like you know three or four. He had a drum kit in the house, so there's pictures of me like playing his drums and stuff. Uh, I'm I'm a terrible drummer, but uh, I. Uh, it was always in the house. It was always around, and I just—I don't know. He was always kind of keeping that vibe alive. So I, I have my dad to thank for that a lot. I have a, a picture of us from that night, that first concert, that that's uh, on the wall next to my um, next to my console and you know my computer and everything here, my my desk where I do everything in the studio. Um, just as is like a reminder, you know. Um, and uh, so nothing really happened you know, from six to, you know, 12 music wise, it was, it was, you know, just normal kid stuff. And I started writing songs when I was about 12, when I started like falling in love with girls, you know, um, <laughs> didn't we all? Yeah. And, uh, it's always friend zone shit. You know, it's always just, it's always, you know, why, why don't you love me like <laughs> amen to that yeah yeah <laughs> stuff like this that really brooding like depressing emo shit and um so you know and i'm pretty sure i'm sure the songs were pretty bad but you know you're just starting out and uh <clears throat> i guess around 13 um i started trying to play i had this like really weird it wasn't even like it was like a toy guitar and I it had like two strings on it and I was trying to like play it and just, I didn't have any clue how to do it. Um, fast forward, 1994, Halloween. Um, I'm walking around, I'm, I'm Eric Draven from The Crow. Um, me and my friends, my brother. <laughs> and, That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, one night, and that, that night later, uh, it was kind of, it had rained a little bit and I see kind of down the next block over, there's a, uh, a, a guy in like he's wearing a jester hat you know with the bells on it um and that's it and then just just regular clothes and like a jester hat he's he was like a year or two older than me um he uh it's a guy that i knew this guy dave he was playing guitar he was playing this fender stratocaster and um he was just standing there noodling around he was playing like nirvana songs and um green day and like silver chair and bush you know all the bands from that time the alternative rock and um He's, uh, I, I was, I was amazed. I was like, oh my God, like that's, I've never really seen anybody do that up close, I guess. And I'm just telling, hey, play, play heart shaped box. And he just starts playing. I'm like, I want to do that. You know, like that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. so, uh, he showed me a couple things. I ended up getting a, a, a guitar, my first guitar, 
um, from a pawn shop downtown in Aberdeen where I lived. And uh, he wanted 130 bucks for it. I told him I had 100. He gave me gave it to me for 100 bucks, and it was just this little shitty guitar. And I had um, uh, I started kind of I got a book from uh, this music store just to learn a couple chords, and I really didn't know how to read it, you know. And I start uh, the tablature and all that stuff. I still can't read music at all. Um, but uh, so my friend David showed me. He came to the house a couple times, and he showed me how to make a power chord. And once you show me the power chord, it was just explosion of just creativity. I was like, okay, the floodgates are open. Like Game I can do over. anything now. So, um, yeah, we, I started teaching myself how to play songs that I loved. Um, and I, then I started, I was still, I was still writing lyrics and I, then I just started, I put the two together. I started playing guitar and singing these words, these melodies. And I wanted to be Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day you know, um, much like many kids my age at that yeah, time. Yeah, was, who didn't? I was going to say, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I still do, you know. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm writing a lot of pop punk songs, a lot of stuff that sounds like Green Day and, um, you know, some rock songs and trying to write some ballads and things. Um, and I remember we played our first show. We, we, well, okay, so we started, I told my brother it was probably early 95. So this is, you know, I don't know, six months or so after I started playing guitar. I was like, yo, you want to start a band? Like, finally do this band thing? And he was like, hell yeah, you know? Like, so um, we found it. We somehow pieced a little drum kit together. We had, like, some shells. We didn't have any heads on the drum, on the, on the kick drum. So we used, um, I think for Christmas or something, we had gotten this encyclopedia britannica collection um and, and it was a big like rectangular box and it was really heavy and so we never opened it we never looked at those those encyclopedias and we just put it in the kick drum shell and we used the beater and we hit that thing with <laughs> as, a, so, as a kick drum wow and uh we had one of my mom's um we had a bird cage hanger we didn't have a bird cage but we had a bird cage, cage hanger for some fucking reason and so it was like well, this of it was like this tall kind of curled on the end had a little hook on the end and so we constructed we grabbed one of my mom's the tops of one of her pots from her pots and pans kind of like i guess roughly 12 inches and we took it downstairs and we um uh grabbed a wire hanger and wrapped it around the handle of the the top of the pot and um the cover and we t like kind of wrapped it around the hook of this thing so we basically made like a symbol out of these pots and pans like <laughs> and my mom wow. came down like i don't know not too much later and she's just like we're beating up her like pots and pans you know <laughs> um <laughs> You know, we were just trying to make a drum set, you know, and uh, it sounded terrible. And then we had a Folgers can, like a big Folgers can, the coffee can, and we threw like a bunch of change in it and we set that to the left of the kit and like had like a table, like a little end table and we sat that next to the kit. And so we were using that as like a hi-hat. So to get that ching-ching wow. sound. And yeah, we were super like resourceful you know, kids. And it's um, like, never say, never tell me you have to buy a drum set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounded terrible but it it <laughs> was what it was you know we, we kind of had this thing going and um and then i had this little shitty aunt that i'd, I'd saved up from babysitting my my mom's friend's baby um 
say it was like $80 and I bought this little crate amp and that was like the beginning, you know? Um, and we asked a, a friend of mine from school to play bass. He had just gotten a bass. Yo, let's, he brought his bass amp over and we just started the band in 95. Um, so, uh, next, that next year we'd been, we'd been asked to play a show. I probably like the fall of 95. We'd been asked to play the spring show for the Earth Day Festival, I think it was, or something like that. Um, and it ended up being March 1st, 1996, played our first show. And so we rehearsed for like seven or eight months leading up to this and uh, played our first show. And and from that moment, I knew that that was it. I, this is what I wanted to do. Um, we started playing friends' house parties. The following month, we played the... Uh, um, the, the high school talent show, um, and <clears throat> where it was like probably our first big song, you know, the quote unquote big song where like all our friends, like every time we played at the shows, we got the biggest applause. People knew the song. Um, and we killed it, man. We killed it at this, that there were probably like, I don't know, four or 500 people at this thing. And we slayed it. And I had the video of it. I gotta, I gotta get it transferred, but, um, and it was awesome. And it just, it just, every time we did it, it just felt more and more natural. And like, this is perfect. This is exactly what we want. Um, so we just, I don't know, we just held on to it. We started recording and putting out records. And in the 2000s, we started getting approached by labels, like major labels when that, when that was a thing. And our guys were calling me tech, you know, uh, emailing. It was really before I had a cell phone and all that, but, um, emailing and stuff. And, uh, like, it just felt like, wow, this is, this is some, there's something here. None of that ever worked out. Um, in the end, I'm glad it didn't because I just, none of us were ready. I certainly wasn't ready for any sort of like record contract with money involved and, you know, maybe MTV. I wasn't ready for any of that. I just, the type of person I was, you know? Yeah, actually, this is something I've heard you speak about um, uh, quite a bit, actually, um, checking out your podcast and stuff. And, you know, so so a little background on me, you know, I was, when I was like 19, we signed with Victory in our hardcore band, and it didn't work out. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just completely crumbled within like a, under a year and a half's time. Great learning experience, but like it didn't work out. So I kind of want to, because like, you know, I was too young to have the foresight to see that it might have been too much too soon. So like how are you able to dissect that at your age at that point in time? It was um there was never like I don't I don't know if there was any I never really broke it I don't think I ever really broke it down. It was like I just I was just going. You know, we were just going. There was no like I definitely think of things. There was making decisions and such, but <clears throat> when it came to like labels approaching us I was always, I was ready. I, I, I mean, at the time, I felt like I was ready. Like I, looking back, I definitely was not. But I felt it was just exciting. It was I was in my you know early twenties. I was freaking out that these people were talking to us in the first place. And when it every time it didn't happen, I was crushed. You know, and um, it. I think the, not the last one, but one that was, there were the two, the two last ones got really close. It was 05 and then 07. 05, I was approached by um, the A&R, head A&R of uh, Wind Up Records, which is, you know, they have Creed and Evanescence and Finger Eleven. Um, and those bands were killing it. 
back then. That was a huge time for Windup Records. It was one of the biggest indie labels at the time because of the bands that they had. And she was named like the top Anar person of 2004. And she emailed me out of nowhere, uh, said she heard the song somehow. Um, I have no idea how these how this music was getting these people before social media. And um, she heard the music, emailed me, and saw her picture. She said, you guys are really cute. Like she had this really like heavy, like Brooklyn accent, but she was also like from Ecuador, I think. So she had this like heavy, like, <laughs> like uh, Hispanic Brooklyn, if you can imagine that in your head. But um, she was really sweet. And she was just like, you guys are, you guys are uh, gorgeous. You're really beautiful people. Like, like, I think you guys could really do <laughs> your songs. I love your songs. Like, she, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, we talked for months. Yeah, we talked for months, man. I know, that's, that's my impression. Um, that's and impression. Uh, thank you. Um, and it just, it, she couldn't get her husband on board. Her husband was like the actual, like, I guess he he was the leader of the label. He owned the label. She co-owned it, I guess, but he she needed his say as well. And he wouldn't give it to her. And I guess, and at the time, I remember thinking, like, she was like, send me demos, send me whatever. I'm like, I don't want to send you demos because these things aren't finished. Like, like we were in the middle of recording um, our, uh, our first album still. I'm sorry, our second album still, uh, Do It For The Money. Um, this was 2005. I, I we didn't get it out till January 2006. So I I had rough mixes and things weren't done. There, the harmonies weren't there. Like things like it just wasn't a finished product. And what I learned from all that is that never leave it up to an imagination. Send your best shit if you're trying to. You know, I, I don't like anyone to have to think. I want them to hear it and be like, oh my god, this is great. You know, like or oh my god, this sucks. But like at least they heard the full like attempt you know what i what i'm hearing in my head i want them to hear it um and back then we we didn't like it was very scarce studio time it was expensive it was hard getting everybody together because everybody had jobs and you know um our our producer engineer guy was super busy with other artists too and um it just took a lot of time so when she's asking me for this stuff like i had just i you know i'm sending her what i had and and i guess it just Looking back, I'm like, God, this sounded terrible. You know, it wasn't mixed. It was incomplete. So um, that could have been part of it. Maybe he didn't know what to do with a reggae rock band. You know, like um, it, we were always in the vein of like Sublime and sort of Green Day meets in the middle. And um, <clears throat> who knows? But so we lost that. I'm not sure. And I was bummed out. Shut up, Alexa. Alexa, stop. All right. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Um, always so, listening. Uh, yeah. Um, so then in 2007, uh, we got approached by a guy um, who he was an A&R guy at J Records. And that was more of like a pop label that was run by Clive Davis. Um, they had like Alicia Keys and Mario at the time. So it was like a lot of like R&B and pop. And it was definitely not a fit for us. You know, we were never like a pop band and um, and I think the music that we were playing at the time, like it, it was already moving into this, I don't know, whatever alternative is now and pop is huge, you know, Maroon 5 type of stuff. Like this just wasn't us. Um, and, but I talked to the guy, he was super cool. Um, John Eamon, he's, he was really nice. He came out to some shows. Um, we talked almost every day for a couple months and I think he had, Message me on my message me on MySpace. That's how he got a hold of us. 
Um, and he was getting ready to like put our showcase together. We were going to go showcase for Clive Davis, you know, like up in New York and all this. Yeah, like it was this wild crazy. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and I'm just going with it. I'm just, you know, and at the time, again, we're between records. We're, 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 recur- we're recording in the middle of recording our third record, Cheers. So we had nothing finished. Okay, yeah. So I was going to ask you, Do It For The Money was out at this point in time. This is what sort of got you these showcases and whatnot? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I would say Do It For The Money was the one that put us on the map for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, there was, uh, I don't know how the, the previous people had found us. I, I cannot remember how our stuff came across their desk. But yeah, at this time, uh, we were doing some touring you know we'd been out on the road and we had our first our second record out and we were working on the third and we you know we'd been around the 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 country a few times at that point um and you know and that's the thing like you you have to you have to work on yourself you have to uh put in the time and the work and then people start showing up because they see the work you're doing like you have to make waves you have to make noise especially today like you know this is pre-streaming um and we can get into that in a few because that's a it's a completely different world now but yeah um, i'd love to get your take on that so (laughs) yeah definitely definitely um yeah we uh so you know we're between records and 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 then the last call that i had with john was um he's just he was like i was like yeah what's up with this you know showcase man like how's it going and he's like yeah you know it's just not they, they want to see more of a story and it's just not going to happen right now. I'm like, ah, I was like, I was just like, I was bummed out, dude. And that was like the last big, like as far as like labels, like as far as that goes, that was done. And, and, um, he, he went on, he's, he's like a, I think he's an Interscope now. He's he's doing great. He's killing it. He's like with Alana Del Rey and all these, like, he's doing awesome. Um, Must but be nice. that was the, that was the path, <laughs> yeah. like, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, that was the path, you know. Like he, it was. I think it was always going to be like a pop kind of path, and um, that I think that's great that he's that he's he's doing so well, and um, it took him there. Uh, but he, I remember he told me he's like, you guys could like. He said it's been ten years since Sublime, and like I feel like you guys could. This was 07 at the time. He, he said you guys could fill that void. I think, and he saw something in it, you know. Um, but the shows he came to, they weren't that great. Like there was not many people there, and. I don't know. Maybe it just took the wind out of his sails. I I don't know, man. I, I just, uh, but it's it's one of those things that, again, that are super famous. They explode. And they're selling millions of records, or nowadays it's millions, hundred million streams, you know. Um, and they're doing Coachella, and they're all over the place. Like, it's like there's these there, there's people that are made for that, like these old souls that can handle pressure, and they have foresight, and they're a lot more, I don't know, stable um, when it comes to those kinds of things. Where I would have been like just all over the place, saying the dumb stuff. I, you know, I'd be saying that most idiotic stuff if I was, you know, interviewed on MTV, like things like that. Like, but you always look back and I see these young bands that were killing it 
and they're just so cool and they just they just have this older sense about them and i i never had that <laughs> like i feel like i'm reaching that now in a way like it's it's i've been i'm like 20 years behind all that so i i don't know man it's like uh, I, I just wasn't built for that at that time so i'm glad it didn't happen you know yeah no i mean i guess it makes sense but i i guess you also kind of don't know until you're in that situation right because we don't know if they have people telling them what to say yeah, or fabricating yeah, exactly. who they are you yeah know? i just i just found out that there was some actor that i loved as a kid and he was uh, you know he's probably like five years older than me or something i'm 25 now and i was all just like wow i want to be like as cool and smooth as funny as this guy and then like Two days ago, I watched the video and he was like, yeah, they were telling me what to say all the time. I had to do like press coaching and all this. So I was like, wow, that actually sounds terrible. I'm really glad that that wasn't my life. Who's this? Yeah, uh, Josh Pat- terrible. Like, Nick, oh, like everybody okay. on Nickelodeon had like press coaching and they were like, you can't talk to interviewers until we teach you how to talk to interviewers first. And you're like, oh, snap. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so, so I guess you never do know, but I do also understand the sentiment of what you're getting at because I feel yeah. like to have that much... Uh, power and and money at mm-hmm. that age as we've seen in millions yeah. of documentaries yeah just it's just like to... like how every time justin bieber gets in trouble they're like well you know when you throw a bunch of money and attention at this kid like obviously he's gonna drive his sports car really fast in his neighborhood it's like i guess yeah, yeah. that's probably the kind of stuff i'd be doing if everyone was like you're the most talented person on the earth i'd be like cool i'm gonna go jump out of a plane into my house <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying like i, I was not that would have been me i would have i would have blown it you know i would have blown it Mm-hmm. And it just, and, and the other thing too, because, you know, if you're, especially if you're on like a label like that, like a major label that has a great track record and has all these amazing artists, um, I think, I think the art would have been compromised. I feel like I, I probably would have been, um, coerced into, you know, going a direction that I didn't want to go in. And yeah, I would have been a product of the industry, chewed up and spit out. I just, you hear those horror stories and there are a lot of success stories for sure, but that, you know, the number of successes, you know, on that scale, it, it's just the number of going the other way is way more, you know, way higher. And I feel like I, we, we would have been a part of that. We would have been like a casualty of this whole industry. Um, and so we just kept going. I, I believed in it. We believed in it so much. We kept going. We kept powering through all that stuff. We had... In a lot of, uh, you know, heartbreaks through those years, and it it just you know we just kept going and and what I even I just realized this now like even the last like couple years that how glad I am that that stuff didn't happen and we just kept powering through it and doing our thing like we basically stuck to our guns and did what we wanted to do and I feel like we're much happier for it now we're not exactly we're not to the point that we want to be at yet you know like in you know popularity like we don't need to be super famous that that is really not going to happen that's going to happen for a select few people you know as life goes on you're going to have your your new billy eilish's and you know you're going to have your drake and your beyonce's you're going to have that but it's mostly going to be bands out there slaying on the road and um, building followings and uh, making livings off of that and selling merchandise. You're not going to be some giant MTV star. I mean, that, that doesn't happen anymore, but that's just not a thing, you know? 100%, man. Now, now let, let me ask you this, because sort of where we're at, you know, Andrew and I, we're 25. We just signed, like, our first contract together. 
and we're super excited. You know, we're, we're fired up. We're excited to hit the ground running and make the most of this. But I got to say, it's really defeating when I go and hang out with my friends who sort of took the safe route and they're like, hey, like, come down to where I live in, in Yonkers and let's go to this expensive, exp- expensive restaurant and, and then go to this bar and spend all this money. And I'm like, I can't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like, yep. how, how do you fight through that? And what is your sort of sentiment or advice to pe- to people in our situation who are, you know, not taking the safe route and, and sort of investing everything they have into this? Like, because it, it does some days really bring me down, you know, and I'm yeah. sure I'm not the only there, one. There are some days where the safe route emphasizes how safe that route is. And you're like, wow, I really wish that I felt safe right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's completely. Um, I can tell you that even now, if I didn't have a family, um, if I was just a single dude, you know, with all the time in the world, like I was in my 20s, um, I would still, if I was getting invites to go places, friends, parties, out to bars, you know, vacations, whatever, I would be, I'd be like, nope, I'd be sitting right here in my studio working because that's what I love to do. There's just, there are people that that want to go out there and flaunt it and they want to have, go have a good time and they want to rage it up and party. And that's totally fine. That's great. You know, I'm not going to tell somebody not to go go have a good time and live, live, live their life. For me, I have goals in mind. I have something that I'm pursuing and I can't, the more time I'm out there fucking around, you know, going to bars or, or whatever, it's, it's, that's time away from this. And you know, I have song ideas all the time. I have podcast episodes of things I want to talk about all the time. Like, you know, I, there's there's bands that want to work with me now. Like things, I, I don't I don't need to go do all that stuff. If I did that, I'd be sacrificing this. You know, um, so I never really had. I mean, I know it is nice to go out with friends and stuff. It's great to feel part of the pack and like it's great to get the invite. And I thank my friends for thinking of me, um, but it's just not my thing. I don't, you know, I don't want to go out there and spend a bunch of money. I, if I'm spending money, it's on gear. It's it's on things that can help me be more creative. Things that can eventually make me money, you know. Um, and but those are the people that are going to work. They're doing that nine to five life. They're working in warehouses. They're working in restaurants. They're, you know. They're working for other people. I don't want to do that. I never wanted to do that. So I knew that, you know, going back to when I was a kid, I knew that I was going to do something. I was going to create something that I was going to build my own thing, you know, and it's going to be something that pays the bills. And it wasn't until six years ago, I quit my job finally. Like I was always, I was on tour. I was putting out records. I was doing this thing. But every time I came back, I was at the restaurant. I was bartending. I was waiting tables. I'd work at warehouses. I was delivering pizza you know, all these things. And I finally got to a point where I wasn't comfortable, but, and I had a three-year-old son at the time um, that I was like, I got to get, because I was getting, I was getting in trouble for being on my phone at work, like messaging people back on Facebook and MySpace and, you know, wherever, Twitter, you know, working, working this thing. And I was getting in trouble for it, you know, running into the bathroom, sneaking on my phone. And I was like, I can't be doing this. Like, I can't, I can't be wasting 10, 12 hours pulling doubles when I could be at home pulling doubles working on music, you know? And the only way that I'm going to achieve any of these things I want to achieve is to double down on it. And I can't have those things in my way. I can't have work in my way. Like, 
you know, work like, like that kind of work. This is work. Don't get me wrong. But I don't feel, it doesn't feel like work. You know, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. That's, that's, there's some saying like, not word for word, but, um, so I don't get bummed out. I don't, you know, I don't think about, I'd rather be home. I would rather be home working. You know, I hang out with my kids as much as I can, but they understand that this is, this is how daddy makes money and, and supports the family, you know, and to do anything less, it's for me to go out, for me to go out to Baltimore with friends and stuff, you know, every weekend, I'd be doing my family a disservice at this point. Gotcha. No, that, that makes total sense, man. And uh, th- thanks for going in super great detail for that. I think, yeah, that I think was that's... very eye-opening. Yeah, yeah, that. And I think it's going to be, you know, super helpful for anyone listening who's uh, in a similar situation to Andrew and I. Um, now, and I know you do a lot of stuff, so I want to sort of switch gears. You know, you've talked about getting the band off the ground and sort of the mentality you've had that's brought you to where you are so far. And it seems at this point in the story, you're already super busy. So where does starting your own record label come into play? You know, because to me, it seems like there's already a lot going on with Ballyhoo and your your family. And so so when does Right Coast Records come about? Because that's got to just be another thing that is probably super rewarding, I could only imagine, but also has to take up another solid chunk of time to really do it the right way, you know? Yeah, um, it's it's one of those things like I, I encourage every artist out there to start their own label um do like seriously fill out the paperwork get the dba all that stuff and form the llc and and actually do it um and get with a distributor like in grooves if you can or, or you know you can sign up with TuneCore or cd baby um distro kid there's there's tons of distributors out there independent that you can sign up with um and put everything out on your label um there is no reason to wait around for a label to come sign you or for someone to take take notice. Just keep doing your thing. Keep your head down and keep moving forward with what you're doing and stick to your guns. Don't let anybody change what you're doing. Do what you want to do. Um, so uh, that said, I have always wanted to like put out other bands' music. I always thought it'd be cool to run a label and um, help other bands. And that's all we tr- have tried to do so far. I mean, there's us... And then there's Bumpin' Uglies and Resonated. Those are the two bands that we've signed outside of ourselves um, in the past. And we do a one-album deal. There's no, you're not locked into anything. We just get that one record for such and such amount of time. Um, and we, when the record comes out, we do our best to uh, take some marketing money and push it to ads and, you know, uh, get, the, get the band heard, you know. Um, and basically, we try to use our fame or whatever you want to call it, our popularity to sort of expose these bands that we've signed to get them more looks than they would have had they released it on their own. Um, and that's really all that we can offer at this point because, you know, the value is not like a super money-making machine. The, the Right Coast Records is not a, a big money-making machine. It's just we, we take the money that, that we can, we apply it, and we try to... Uh, just make these bands feel good about signing with the label the the old the whole idea came about um roughly 2012 um to actually make it happen um we'd we'd done a deal with law records we'd done a deal with surf dog records before this to uh, re-release our third record cheers and it was a huge mistake and if you want to get like spiritual and existential whatever maybe uh, maybe it wasn't a mistake because it maybe it led us here whatever whatever but um, it, it was one of those deals that just, it shouldn't have happened. They took like half our money for like 
eight years or something like that. And we could have been taking that money and reinvesting it into the band, which is what we do. We take all our money and we put it back into the band to just, you know, grow things. Um, and we were, we were excited, you know, the, the record was already doing great. I was, I was making like, we were pulling like three grand a month on CD baby through the, you know, with the third record. Um, and that's a lot of money for an independent band that's like just started touring and, you know, is very green still. Um, at that time. And so we were excited. We thought we were like slightly stupid, put a record out with them. The, like the, the guy running the thing used to manage UB40. It was just this cool thing to be a part of. Um, and Surf Dog, I remember uh, there's a t-shirt of us when we first started playing shows in like 96, 97 of, uh, I think my brother is wearing a Surf Dog t-shirt. And it was the same company as the logo and everything. And so it just was cool. It felt like a full circle kind of thing. Like, oh man, I'm wearing the t-shirt 10 years later. I'm on their label. You know, it's, it was cool. And then they didn't do anything for us. Um, they just sat back and collected. And it was very frustrating. Um, so then we signed a deal with Law Records uh, for the Daydreams album, the fourth record. And that was a great experience. That was a complete flip. Uh, Yasad, Brett, Kaleo from Pepper, they run that label. It's their label. And... They gave us money to make the record and, and put it out and uh, uh, do ads and market and all that stuff. Um, and they would, they would match us on, you know, uh, video shoots and things like that. And um, it was a good relationship. And we're still in it. We, we have a couple of years left with this record with them. Um, and it's fine. You know, they, we, they pay us every six months or whatever it is. Um, it's just been a great relationship. And what we realized was like, you know, again, that, that was, we kind of took our model from them. It's a the one album deal, you know, at least back then it was. And we decided, I think that next year, we were just like, maybe we could do this on our own. Like finally just, I don't know, we got some popularity now. Maybe we could put out a record on our own and maybe it would do well. Yeah. So like we, we decided that we would um, form the LLC and I think we'd already formed the LLC at this point. I'm sorry. But uh, this is a few years before that. But then we decided to do the DBA. That's what it was. Um, basically, Right Coast Records. Uh, no, uh, Ballyhoo LLC doing business as Right Coast Records or something like that. So we formed the label in, I guess, it was probably late 2012 or early 2013. And I'd, I'd spoken to Yusad and I told him, hey, man, I think we're going to like... Uh, put out the next record on our own he's like yeah absolutely dude totally cool you know and they got a great record out of us like that's what that's been our biggest selling record you know since 2011 like huge and so they're happy and we're happy it's great um so we did the thing we put out pineapple grenade sold a bunch the first week it became one of our popular records and it was just i don't know after that i was like okay yeah this is the way to go like we're getting most of the money because you got to pay distributors and things um, and, and Apple and, you know, Spotify, they all get a chunk, you know, but it's more money than had we done a record deal with someone else where they're taking 50% off the top and then you pay the distributor 30%. I think that the distributor gets 30% or 20% first and then the label gets 50%. So, you know, you can, you can see the math here. It's just getting less and less and less. So you end up with like, you know, like 5, 10, 15% of your record, um, depending on how your deal's structured. But I don't know, it just made sense. And ever since 2013, we've been putting everything out on Right Coast Records. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, you said before, you know, 
if you can start your own label, put it out through there, no one will mess with your art and stuff. Was that something that was happening to you guys that was part of why you wanted to start your own label? Like you were working with people and they're like, yeah, no, this is cool, but maybe, maybe do this on the chorus so that, you know, more people will like it. Like, was that something that you were struggling with that you just wanted to get away from? Not really. I mean, we've always done what we've wanted creatively. Um, I think that was more of a realization later, um, you know, post 2000s when these big labels were approaching us. I guess I was thinking about what would have been um, the possibility of somebody coming in and saying, oh, you need to you need to do this, you know. But I mean, you hear stories all the time. Where, like they sign you and then they make you change all your shit and then it's not a success and they drop you, you know. Right. No, I mean, we've, we've worked with producers in the past. We've worked with, uh, I've co-written with other songwriters and um, I have butted heads with all parties, you know, just just being like, ah, I don't like that or, or that's fucking, no, I'm not doing that. And, and there's a little bit of pushback from them. And ultimately it's, it's your record, it's your art. So the producer, the co-writer, they're, you know, the, the professional ones, they're going to let you ultimately do what you want to do. But uh, there's definitely been, I mean, you have to be open. Like when it comes to working with producers and things like you have to be open to taking advice. You don't have to do it, but I'm always big on trying. When I work with bands, I'm like, hey, just try it. You know, if I have this idea, just try it. Um, but no, like, it, the, I think it just became more of a realization that like, wow, we really can do whatever we want. Like, I could I could get on my, like, on my phone and make a voice note of me just playing an acoustic guitar and singing something for two minutes. And I can put it on Spotify right now and it'll be on there tomorrow, you know? Um, and... and not do I want to do that? No, I don't think it's a very good business strategy. Um, <laughs> but you could, you know. And if I want to put out a single tomorrow and then put out another single next month, or I want to put out a record tomorrow and I want to put out a new record next month, I could do that, you know. Not the greatest business strategy, but <laughs> you know, it, we're free to do what we want. And I think that's one of the best things about the whole streaming landscape now. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about that part. I was always thinking like labels or like major labels would always pick you up and be like, all right, here's what you're going to do. Here's what you have to do, blah, blah, blah. But I never really thought about them being like, no, you can't do that. And you're not doing that now. We're going to do that on our schedule. And you're like, well, I kind of wanted to do it now. I never really thought about the other side of that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely, there's plenty of uh, stories of, of um, uh, labels be- actually truly believing in a band, an artist that they signed and nurturing their art, their creativity, and letting them take the time to make the record they want to make so it's great. You know, like, you've definitely heard those stories, but then you've also heard the stories of, you know, just, no, it's going to be this now. It's like, but you signed me because of this. And they're like, no, no, but it's this now. And then they they get, you know, chewed up and spit out. And I never wanted to be that. And, uh, you know, it's, you can have people telling you, management even telling you things like, you know, you need to focus on this sound or this is your best-selling shit. You should write stuff like this. And and I, I, I'd i had that conversation before with our managers. Um, and, I mean, if you look at our Spotify, you know, top 10, it's all like the, like the, the soft, sweet stuff and like the more reggae and love songs and things like that. It's like our, our punk songs aren't really in the top 10 unless they're like brand new records, you know, at the time, and then they go away and 
like songs like Walk Away and Say I'm Wrong and Cali Girl, those soft, sweet songs. Those are the top 10 songs. So it was like, hey, maybe you should write songs like that, you know? And, and so I tried it. I was like, yeah, why not? I'll just focus on that. And we made the girls record. And uh, I, I, I want to start off by saying I'm very, very proud of that record. I love that record. I, I'm so stoked on how it turned out. And um, I do love the idea that it's themed and it has like a, a more focused uh, approach um, songwriting-wise. Uh, a lot of the songs are in that style. They're they're more laid back and chill and, and they're pop. I got to use a lot of my production techniques on it, like beats and weird uh, layers and things. I, I love that stuff. So it was never anything that was like forced on, forced upon us. It was the way, I mean, we recorded a couple more rocky, kind of more punky songs in those sessions, but they just didn't fit. So we didn't release them with the record. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of like making sure there's a co co cohesiveness, a cohesive feel to the, um, to the whole record. And if you have, so like a bunch of these kind of like reggae, kind of pop reggae songs, and then you got some punk song that spikes up in the middle and then you go back to our regular it's just weird for me you know um you don't want to fuck with the flow so we put that record out it it did great it's still a lot of those songs are in the top 10 like i was saying before like it it did great um but then you have a record like detonate that just came out last year that is the complete opposite of what that was it's a punk record ska whatever like it there's not really any, there's, I think there's like one reggae song on it. Like it's just, but it was because of the way I was feeling at the time. My, my dad had just passed away in 2016, December. And so 2017, when I started writing again towards the end of summer, I guess, I was angry and, and sad and depressed and like thinking about my life and my career and like wondering if I even want to do this anymore and just all of these feelings and um, those feelings have been there for a while, but now I'm starting to really write about it. You know, the girls record was more of like a party record, a lot of love songs. This one was like just way more uh, visceral, like just more like they're all from the heart, but like it's all things that have happened to me, pieces of things, you know, stories, experiences, whatever. But this was, I just had to get this stuff out and, and to put that stuff on a reggae pop reggae backdrop wasn't going to work. It, I had to slam the guitar. Like I had to, this is the time for like to rock it out, you know? Totally, man. And I guess it, it's one of those things where it seems like based off that place that you were in, it, it might've been disingenuous just because the girl's record was so successful for you guys. It might've been dis disingenuous and, and the content, the quality might have suffered because you, you probably weren't, you know, you, you just said you weren't in that same happy place that you were when you wrote the girls record. So if anything, I think that your fans hearing this, they, that that's very respectable in my opinion. And I think that that's something that I try to keep into account when I write songs. It's a little tougher for us. We're more of a pop, a pop band. So we're always sort of trying to come up with that like catchy, plucky rhythm and, and give you an upbeat feel. But you know, so, some, some days I'm not as happy as I am as others. And those songs do end up a little slower and the lyrical content sort of reflects that. So I, I do, I do think people will appreciate that. And I do think that comes across as well. Yeah. There's no, um, you know, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't going to put out a record that I didn't, I couldn't get behind. Like I couldn't feel like, I'm not going to write songs because the last record was so successful. Like, 
<clears throat> like I knew that those songs were our most popular songs that b before pre girls. Like I knew that. Um, and I still, I was always writing songs like that. I just decided, okay, I'm just going to maybe focus this on this style. You know, it wasn't like, okay, I got to write a pop reggae song. I got it. It was just, I don't know. I was just like, I was like, okay, maybe this doesn't have to be a punk song. I can just kind of direct it this way. There was never any force. Like it, it was not like that. Uh, it, oh God, what was I going to say? Uh, you were saying something and it, it made me think um, about it. Oh, uh, don't. Yeah, so you're saying you're like more of a, a pop band, or whatever. Like, um, it's it's never like you can you can do what you want. Like, you don't have to feel like songwriting is, is should always go with what your heart is telling you, like how you feel. And if this doesn't feel like a pop song, put it down anyway. Just get it all out, and then it's up to you to sort of curate the best songs that feel the best, you know, for a record, they're going to go together. You have to get all that stuff out because we're, we're human beings. Like we, we feel different things all the time. You're not fucking happy all the time. Anybody that's happy all the time or, you know, puts it out there that they're happy all the time. I, I, I just don't believe that. I don't believe that. And that's not to put down any positive people or anything. Cause I, I, I am a pretty positive person most of the time, but I feel like we're all damaged in some way. There's something that bothers us, you know, whether you choose to deal with it or you choose to, you know, put on a facade and you want to be happy and uh, put that out there. That's great. But um, I feel like everybody's their own person. And, and I don't know, the, a record is, is like your, it's like a time capsule. It's like where you are right, right at that time. You know, I, I don't know. Get it all out there. Yeah, dude. 100% man. Yeah, and, and I think that that is we we could talk to you forever. This has been yeah. a great conversation, and yeah, you're um, gonna, you're definitely gonna have to come back on the show. Oh, we, we'd love to have you back whenever you want. Um, unfortunately, we do have to be uh, we do have to be heading out of here. So we just want to uh, real quick, what can people expect from Ballyhoo? Your podcast, Tales from the Green Room, Right Coast Records, all the stuff you do going forward into the back half of 2019, and and where can they find all that, and where can they find you, and just keep up to date with everything you do, Howie? Yeah. Um... First off, thanks for having me. Uh, really appreciate you reaching out. Um, maybe you guys can come on my pod sometime. Um, We'd love to. <laughs> uh, we're um yeah, uh, the band Ballyhoo. It's all over, you know, all over the internet and Spotify and Apple Music and wherever you listen to music, it's there. Um, B a l l y h o o with an exclamation mark. Um, BallyhooRocks.com. Uh, Bally Ballyhoo Rocks on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, myself, Howie Spangler, no, no E in Howie, uh, Howie Spangler, Instagram, uh, Twitter, YouTube. I just, uh, I just launched the, uh, the Tales Pod playlist, um, to kind of be an extension of the podcast, the Tales from the Green Room podcast. Maybe go follow that if you wouldn't mind on Spotify. Uh, I try to, try to make it every Friday. I'm going to be updating with new songs, even old songs that I'm into or like artists that have been on, been guests on the, uh, on the pod as well. I'm just trying to push out new, new songs to people that maybe, even old songs that, that people haven't heard before, stuff that I'm into that I think other people might like. So maybe give that a follow and then uh, subscribe to the Tales from the Green Room podcast. I'm always I'm talking about, um, you know, what it's like to be a touring musician in a band for all these years, over two decades, and um, all my experiences. And maybe you might learn something. Hell yeah, man! We uh, we definitely will check out check out all that stuff. We're looking forward to it. Absolutely. And uh, so so here it is, guys. We'll be back in a moment with "Walk Away" by Ballyhoo. Thanks, Howie. Woohoo! Thanks, guys. So here 
off just like last week You got your brass knuckles and I got a machete Not too long ago we used to cuddle in our sleep Somehow this shit got turned around and now the words got deep All the love letters stuffed into a Molotov cocktail Hopeless. Can't you see it, girl? The life goes on. Life goes on. And we've seen better days. And you know this, girl. We just can't take much more. You know we make each other miserable. Let's just call it what it is. I'm letting go of all of this. All around to get your name And I was shocked to find out That you were doing the same but Now it seems that those old days Have come and gone away But I would never call this a mistake All the love letters Stuffed into a Molotov cocktail Why can't you see it though the life goes on? Life goes on And we've seen better days And you know this Girl, we just can't take much more You know we make each other miserable Let's just call it what it is Letting go Just call